Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. You know, as a kid, I, I watched people shout in church. I watched them get really excited and riled up, and some folks would even take a lap. And like me, I'm sure many of you had a similar experience where you, you grew up in church, you were there because your, your parents told you to go, and you saw all these extreme displays of emotion whether it be pastor uh, tuning up the band, uh, beginning to sing in the middle of the sermon, or like I said, people, people taking laps or, or even passing out, having to drape some fabric over them to cover them and so on and so forth. And for many of us, we, we grew up in what was some call a more charismatic church experience. But as a child, I didn't really understand it. And I remember being with other friends in those church services laughing at, at, at these people with these very extreme displays. It seemed like they were, we didn't call it this back then, but what we would call it today is they were doing too much or, or they were being extra. And I remember gathering with my friends afterward to discuss, did you see sister so-and-so do this? Or did you see Deacon do this? Or did you see the lady that was, that was crying for the latter part of the service? And for us at the time, it was entertainment because there were those few Sundays where we weren't sent to children's church and we were actually allowed to sit in the main sanctuary. And those displays, uh, like I said, were our, our entertainment. And then I lived a little bit longer. And my perspective on those outbursts changed. Uh, I began to understand why the older women in church would get excited when pastor would talk about waiting on the Lord. Or when someone had been through a traumatic, hurtful, grievous experience and pastor would talk about God being with you in the storm. I lived a little, lived a little bit longer and I had my own storm experiences and I began to realize why they were running around the church. And then I got to a point where I wanted to do those things too because I, I felt it internally, uh, the power that God had exhibited in my life. It moved me to the point of not just an inward response of God, I believe in who you are, but it moved me sometimes to an outward expression of those things as well because I was so amazed at the power of God and him evidencing himself in my life. Regardless of the circumstance, God was always there. There hasn't been a situation that I've been through yet that I haven't gotten through because I'm still here. 
And I can also rejoice and be excited about the future reality that even when this life ends, I as a believer have the privilege of spending eternity in the presence of my Lord and Savior. That's something to be excited about. And when a pastor reflects on those things on Sunday morning or whenever you're listening to a sermon, I got to a point where I understood, oh, he's preaching. Because I lived to understand the reality of the message he was sharing. I lived to see the goodness of the Lord in this life. And I think many of us have been there and and we understand the, the power of God in our life. But there's another side to it. You see, I, I grew up in predominantly black churches, uh, not necessarily Pentecostal. Most of them were Baptists, but definitely the more excited Baptists, Baptists, Baptists on caffeine. And after my experiences in those, those churches, I, I had to go to college and I left my hometown of Washington, D.C., and I went to the South. I went to North Carolina for college, and my college was actually at a seminary, a Southern Baptist seminary. Now, Southern Baptist is in no way, shape, or form similar to the types of Baptist churches that I grew up in. And it was there that I found out that every church experience is not built the same. Uh, When the Southern Baptists go to church, there is an organ sometimes, but it's not the same organ that they were playing in the churches that I grew up in. Uh, the response to a good sermon in this Southern Baptist context might have been to take some notes and to say, to whisper amen to yourself. And when I heard some of their um, perspectives on the church tradition that I came from, that's when I got exposed to the word charismatic. They described it as being more, more charismatic. And some who wanted to leverage critiques, they described it as emotionalism. And in light of the current climate, there are a lot of racial tensions, talks of cultural differences, talks of supremacy, and so on and so forth. I'm not going to go there today. But what I will say is, I think with that critique, I, from my own experience, think that there's something that we can take from that. No, I do not deny the fact that God is so powerful and amazing that what he does in our lives should should elicit an emotional response. I still subscribe to that. I support it. I believe in it. But I, from my own experience, can also speak to the reality that sometimes our emotional experiences in church are a release but we also tend to use them as our resolution. And that, I believe, is a mistake. We cannot allow the, uh, the emotional experience, the high or the hit that comes from a great sermon or a high-powered good old gospel song to be the resolution for the things that we are facing in life. While those things can encourage and inspire us and give us hope that things can change, the end-all, be-all cannot be that experience in church. And I've, I've looked back and I've realized that for years and years and years, many of us have been taught escapism. Now, 
we will look down and challenge believers that use escapism by way of alcohol, drugs, or sex. Uh, escapism is this tendency to distract oneself from unpleasant realities to include traumatic experiences. And some of us also are using church experiences, worship experiences, worship services, Bible study, the whole culture of church as a form of escapism. And I'd like to offer the reality or the challenge that Jesus has something better than that. Now, while these experiences are good in their own right, we cannot allow them to be the thing that keeps us from getting to a true solution. Now, once again, I mentioned the fact that we will look down on people that are using escapism by way of drugs, sex, and alcohol, but we don't really come down on people that are doing it uh, by way of church. And that's because we look at church and services and fellowship with other believers and singing together as inherently good things, and that they are. But good things can become bad things when they're used incorrectly. Uh, I don't want to make light of the spiritual, but we often resort to the spiritual when dealing with issues that require something natural, uh, when dealing with natural issues that require a practical solution. Uh, some of these practical things I'm referring to do not rob God of his omnipotence. In fact, they highlight it. I believe that God is so powerful and creative that he has already created people and resources to support us in everyday life in addition to the Bible and church services and believers on a very practical level. Now, I know that some people might hear this so far and think, well, you know, I was taught that everything can be solved through prayer. And I was taught that if I lay prostrate before the Lord about it, Jesus will work it out. And I don't deny that Jesus will work it out, but I also believe that faith without works is dead. And there are situations where God expects something of us. There are situations where we can do something on our end rather than just waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord does not always mean in action. So I don't want to step on any toes because I know many of us hear this and think, well, you're doubting God because God can do it and he's done it for me. And I would say that I believe God can do it and I, and I, I speak of his omnipotence, but regardless of what your situation is, uh, or in addition to what your situation is or has been, there are circumstances to where we need to seek professional help. Sometimes people experience things that are so complex and layered that we're unable to come up with a thoughtful response. Sometimes things go beyond the pay grade of pastor. And I know many of us like to believe that all the answers we will ever need, all the resolutions are right there in the church. And that does not rob God of his power. But I do think those of us who believe uh, in the power of God, have a, a big view of God, of, of his church and his people, 
can also at the same time take very seriously the reality of mental health. And unfortunately, as a, as a black man growing up in predominantly black churches, I've heard things like black people don't have time to be depressed. I've heard things, uh, I've heard people from the pulpit describe mental health issues as demonic issues or when people are sad or anxious, they have been accused of being the source of said issue. In other words, I've heard people told that it's something on their end, it's some type of sin or inaction or a lack of spiritual discipline on their end as to why they're experiencing anxiety or depression. Uh, people of faith should be comfortable with not knowing what to say. Sometimes silence is the best response. Sometimes just, just sitting there being present with people in a different, difficult circumstance is what they need the most because it's a, a responsibility that we put on ourselves to have an answer to everything. And I think that when we decide that because I'm a believer, I should always have the answer, we end up saying ignorant things because we don't always have the answer. In, in church settings, expecting mothers that have lost their children have been told everything happens for a reason. Can I tell you right now, that didn't come from the Holy Spirit. Worrisome people have been told to just cast their cares on the Lord. And those that always seem sad have been told to simply smile more. But I would challenge us to consider that maybe that grieving mother, that expecting mother needs grief counseling. Now, the women in the church and the elders can pray over her and her family and, and support them during that time of loss, but there are situations that require professional help that we go beyond what we may have availed to ourselves within the church. And once again, that doesn't rob God of his omnipotence as he created both the church setting and the professionals that can support that person during that grievous time. Maybe that worrisome person is dealing with anxiety attacks. And get over it or cast your cares on the Lord is not the best response in that moment. Maybe that sad person is dealing with extreme depression. And as someone who has close relationships that deal with the reality of depression on a day-to-day -day basis, it's not something that's convenient it's not something that's timely, and it's not something that they can control. But I know many people that have gotten to a position where they can manage these things a lot better after seeing a professional. God has provided us with counselors, therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists, and medication to deal with the realities of this life that come with the fall. And some of that includes medical issues that, it, that, it, that alter our experience day to day that alter our thought process, that alter our, alter our interactions with other people. And it might not be a thing where we can just simplify it to praying more, or having more faith. Life is hard. And I would say sometimes life is even harder more so for the Christian. 
And life's experiences can chip away at one's mental health. And there are also chemical imbalances that can alter behavior or thought processes. God can work a miracle, but we do not have the right to determine the means through which he works that miracle. God could work that miracle through a psychologist, a psychiatrist, or the medication. I'm going to land the plane here in a very practical way. The person with diabetes should pray, but also take their insulin. The person with a broken bone should pray, but they should also wear their cast. And considering the recent stories of pastoral suicide, we should be more open to seeing mental health professionals and not assume that everything is under control because people are still attending and able to function within church spaces. Why am I talking about mental health? Why am I talking about seeing psychologists? Why am I talking about medication? Because mental health issues are realities for a believer. And unfortunately, our high view of God and spirituality in many cases has robbed people of the vulnerability of expressing the fact that they're dealing with these kinds of issues and it's not because they sinned. So I'd like to issue this challenge to us as believers to open our, our view of God, open our view of church, and open our view of mental health uh, to a point that allows people to seek the help they need, to have faith in God, and take antidepressants. Because in many cases, this is an issue we have not put our attention toward thoroughly, and we've offered off-the-cuff solutions that may have worked for such and such over here, but such and such over here may not be dealing with depression like this person is. So let's be very practical in how we deal with these things while maintaining faith that God can do anything because he is all powerful. Uh, I bring this up because I manage a nonprofit. It's called the Whole Brother Mission. And we cover the fees and have a network of mental health professionals for men across the country. Wherever you are in the country, if you're in need of a of mental health services. We have a network of counselors prepared to see you. And we wanted to normalize this specifically for men because in many cases, especially in church settings, men are meant to be the leaders, the strong ones, the ones that broken people go to for comfort. Yet we disregard the reality that men are still men and have shortcomings and mental health issues and depression and frustration and disappointment with life, where does the pastor go to when he's not feeling hopeful about the future? Where does the encourager go? So with our focus on mental health issues, we want to begin to normalize this in our community as a whole, but also within the church. And I believe that as we begin to create a better witness surrounding these issues in the church, we can break the stigma around these issues so that people aren't saying things like, black people don't have time to be depressed or just, just keep on praying. I think many of us can live more full lives if we take the time to see a therapist or a mental health professional. And in many cases, people who are in counseling and therapy are in there because they're dealing with a person who did not go to therapy. 
So I want us to explore this reality. Don't be scared. God is still in control. There are Christian counselors, psychiatrists, and therapists, if that's your concern. But let's open ourselves up to what God can do in this area. And lastly, I want to mention uh, these issues impact our internal families as well. And in addition to offering counseling resources across, across the country to men, uh, we recognize that some people are skeptical about going in to see a mental health professional, but are interested in leaning into this conversation about how my trauma has affected me and what I can do to deal with it in a better way. And most commonly, these issues affect the family. So for those that are interested, we also have a resource as well, a whole brother debunking the myths that break the black family. And it deals with ideas of, of masculinity, faith, and mental health. And it is written with the hope that we are moved forward in a way that creates a culture that allows all of us to be okay, not being okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember, we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.